Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. Shabbat Shalom. Rabbi Shapiro, I will pass it over to you. This is Parshat Noah, two Parshiot into 5782. We're doing great thus far. We've made it. <laughs> because we're record, because we're, we're here, like by, by because showing we're here. That's up. A big, that's a big, you know, it's a big step forward. Um, life is showing up. Rabbi Shapiro is here, even though his team is playing currently in this exact hour. Let's go, Sucks. Mm-hmm. And so guys, we're black. He's going to be very focused as, as per, as per usual. Let's go. All right. Parsha Noah. White Sox. For those who are on the podcast, you can't see my super cool Soxtober t-shirt, which I'm very excited about, which will hopefully be meaningful to wear for more than the next three days, given how the White Sox played yesterday. That is not a given but I wasn't wearing the shirt yesterday. So now that I'm wearing a shirt, they will no doubt. Very quick story. Very quick story. I'll try to connect this to the part. I will connect this to the Parsha. I will end up connecting this to the Parsha. When the White Sox won the World Series in 2005, it's a wonderful year, great run. They only lost one game. I was going to college and there was like one other guy there who I knew who was a White Sox fan. The White Sox won the first three games of the playoffs. And then we said, hey, we got to watch a game together. And we sat down and we watched the f- first game of the, of the league championship series together. And they lost that game. And we said, well, guess we can't watch the games together anymore. And we didn't watch any more games together. And they won the next eight games. Think about it, Rabbi Schatz. Is that relevant to the Parsha? No. Is that I'll find a- any halacha? Um, no. Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, when, you do, have- when you do something three times, it's a chazaka. Yeah, but you only did it once. No, but we I had done it three times, and then I did it a different way, and so there was a different outcome. But once I went back to doing just it that if, way. Just because you can use the voice doesn't mean that it makes any sense. <laughs> it makes sense. No, I established a chazaka on watching it by myself. Okay. Parshat Noah. It could have been Parshat Noah during the White Sox playoff last time. I will have to go back and check how the White Sox did during last Parshat Noah. All right, Rabbi Shapiro, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm also ready for the White Sox to win. Whoop, whoop. All right. Parshat Noah, which is allegedly what we're talking about today. <laughs> um, okay, as a reminder, wait, hold on. Mm, no, whoa. Why? Mm-hmm. That's right. This is right. No, I, I wanted to, I just wanted to remind folks, because I don't think Elon was here last week. So we're doing this again, but we're doing it with a slightly different shita, a slightly different perspective. If folks on the week at a glance, with this is the, like any good, any good sequel, there's a, there's the, like the same title, but with a, with like a colon in it. And then, oh, but we didn't do the colon. We just, expanded. no, because you yelled at me about the colon. Right, the colon didn't right make there. sense, but we initially did. So instead of it being like, you know, break into electric boogaloo, like you still need to be like breaking, but then break. So this is exploring the Parsha two. Uh, mental and spiritual growth. So I think that was Rabbi Schatz's idea initially is like spurred on by Elon. So that is what we're doing. We did it last week. It was good. I think, I think it was good. And we're going to, we're going to keep trying to ride that train and see how we do. So that's the plan. Right. Rabbi Schatz. Yep. And also watch the White Sox win. Okay. Parshat Noah. We are going to pick things up in chapter eight when it is already very, very rainy. Has anybody talked about the fact that there was a thunderstorm in LA the week of Parshat Noah? Somebody should talk about it. Yeah, every, you're just not on Facebook. But yes, everyone has talked about that. I, I have something to say about that. Oh, oh great. Good. When I was teaching first grade and during our tefillot in the morning and when we changed after the Chagim, to saying the prayer for rain, I want you to know that every single year, within a week to two weeks, there was rain. The children were entranced. It was always very cool. That is very cool. Yeah. Just thought I'd share. That is really cool. Good job, climate. Good job, Bonnie. Bonnie's class having the yes, power Good job, prayer. Bonnie's davening. <laughs> yeah, good job, Bonnie's davening. Yeah. Very, that's very effective. Or whoever the cantor was at the time. Or her students. For doing it was, it was in our classroom. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, great. 
Bonnie Selk, prayer leader. Okay. Um, we're picking up in chapter eight of Breshit. Uh, for those who might not be familiar with the story, uh, it was a really big flood. Flood, flood that wiped everything out. God had told Noah to build an ark and to schlep his family and the animals on there. And uh, it rained a lot. How was that for a good summary of Parshat Noah so far? That was pretty good. Yeah. Um, so we're going to pick up here post-rain, uh, beginning of chapter 8. God remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the cattle that were with him in the ark. And God caused a wind to blow across the earth and the water subsided. The fountains of the deep and the floodgates of the sky were stopped up and the rain from the sky was held back. The waters receded steadily from the earth. And after 150 days, the waters diminished um, so that the ark came to rest on the mountain of Ararat and the waters went on diminishing. So we've had this flood, the waters start to abate and then um, at, uh, at a certain point, because the waters are lower, the, the boat comes to a rest and then the waters keep going, the water keeps going down. Um, that's pretty, that, that gets us where we need to, to get to in our story. Um, I'm going to read, it's a slightly bigger chunk than usual. Um, and I have like a thought on it and then we'll, we'll open it up to Kushio both on the verses themselves and on like sort of the general concept that I'm introducing. And then we'll, we'll go from there. Right, Rabbi Shots? Yep. Great. Um, okay. Verse six, after 40 days. So it seems like after 40 days of not being stuck, Noah opened up the window of the ark that he had made. And he sent out the raven. And it went to and fro. Ad Yevoshet Hamayim Me'al Haaretz, until the waters had dried up from here. Can I just point something out, just for those who aren't looking at the verse? Um, the Yetzvayetze Yatso are the same letters, the same word, just used in different tenses, which is why it says to and fro, because what it really means is... It went out, went going out, out and coming back. Right. It went out and then it was caused to go out, meaning like it was returned almost, right? Like it, it was just using the word went out in different conjugations to mean the same thing. But basically it's like going back and forth, went to and fro. Yeah. Um, so that, and that's all we hear about the raven. Now we hear about the bird who we might know associate a little more. Um, and he sent out the dove. From, from himself. He sent out the dove, to see whether the waters had decreased from upon the face of the earth. And the dove could not find a place to rest. Also, I'll pause for the linguistic note here that Manoach has within it Noah's name, right? No, Nun and Chet, Noach, but it could not find a place to rest, for its foot. Vatashov Elav El Hatevan, returned to him to the ark. Kimai Malpne Kol Haaretz, still water everywhere. Vaishlach Yadovi Kachehani, Noah put out his hand and took it, Vaivo Ota Elav El Hatevan, took it back into the ark with him. Vayoveh. Vayoveh, excuse me, I missed the Kamats there. Thank you, Rabbi Shatz. Vayochel? Uh, am I doing that right? Vayochel or Vayachel? What do you think? I actually can't tell on this one. I think it's Yochel. I think that right. it's the same as Vayoved in terms of tense. Oh, just what I wanted. Rabbi Shatz to be busting my chops on biblical grammar. I, I mean, I have, I, yeah, don't ask me more about what I just said. That's, that's it. That's where it is. <laughs> Vayochel od shivat yamim acherim. Waited another seven days. Vayosef uh, and he again sent out the dove from the ark. So I think folks know what happens from there. Right? The dove brings a branch and they're able to go out and there's a rainbow and there's a sense that this will never happen again, right? There's all, all of that good stuff. But I actually want to pause here um, because what I notice, and so after I say this, if folks have questions on the verses or on this concept, uh, open to it. What I think is interesting here is the question of sustaining hope, right? 
They've been in the Ark for a long time at this point. It's probably pretty cramped and pretty smelly at this point. Like things, things are not great. They, they are alive, but they're sealed up in this boat and it's been raining and there has been some, some pretty substantial like loss that has happened. The world has been wiped out. They're stuck in this boat and Noah keeps trying for something and not necessarily getting the outcome that he wants, right? He opens the window. He sends out the raven. It goes to and from. It doesn't find a place to land. He sends out the dove. The dove can't find a place to land. He takes it back in the boat. But then he still manages to find a way to send the dove out again. And so I think it's an interesting construct for for us to think about for ourselves. Um, and I'll, I'll invite you to think about, like, when have you experienced this? And or how have you responded when you've experienced this? When you are stuck in something or you're trying to do something again and again, it, it's still not working and you still somehow find the perseverance, the strength, the hope to, to keep at it instead of just saying, you know what? I keep trying to send these birds out there. It ain't working. Guess we're all living in the ark now, folks, right? Like he, he doesn't give up. And I think there's something um, really interesting in that. And the, the last half sentence I'll say is interesting because I offered up Hayona uh, Manoach, right? The sense that the dove not finding rest, ironic given that Noah's name can mean like resting, but he doesn't rest in continuing with, with that sort of uh, that perseverance and that hope. And also interesting that Manoach, if you're not looking at it right now, could be from Noah, right? He didn't, the, the, the dove did not find something from Noah, right? Or for Noah, um, which could be a, a drosh for another time. Um, okay, Mike, you have your first, the first hand up. I will call on you, but then anybody else who has Kushiot, please uh, raise your hand and we'll go around. Thanks, Rabbi. You know what I, I'm just recalling uh, Rabbi uh, Chorney gave uh, a drosh of, last uh, Saturday evening um, and she talked about a lot about, I mean, she really made me think about Noah because yes, he was a righteous man in his generation. And then, you know, the flood and what he did, and then he gets drunk, you know, and, but the point was that she talked about the imagery of him, like not knowing anything during this flood. I mean, like not, you know, having any concept of, you know, he had had this covenant, you know, now with with God, but uh, and he had been asked to build the ark and he did it as commanded. And he just had this way about him that that, you know, like maintain this this hope, I guess, uh, to come out on the other side. Can you and she used imagery like to be in this darkness and not know where the end was going to come or mm-hmm. happen. And, you know, Rabbi uh, Shapiro is saying, you know, how do you sustain hope like this uh, for so long? And, and, and even when the flood ends this, you know, you know, having to take the dove in, I mean, what's really going to happen? I mean, yeah. he really, it makes you one think about what an amazing person he was that he was able to sustain this hope based on just this covenant uh uh and not knowing really you know it had to be an incredible amount of hope so Hmm. it left me after rabbi chorney talking and just hearing what you both have presented yeah today it make it makes you think uh so much more about noah i Hmm. mean uh, and, 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 and what an important, um, and what wonderful qualities he had as a human being. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. I, it's lovely. Great minds think alike, I guess, for Rabbi Chorney and <laughs> Rabbi Shapiro. Um, I have some thoughts on that later. Great in the minds comments. think alike and so do ours. Right. Oh, very good. Yes. Um, I have some things on that later some commentaries based on based on a similar concept later. So um, I won't say much more now, but but thank you for bringing in her teaching. I I did not hear it, and I I don't believe the Rabbi Shapiro did either. So thank you for bringing that to our attention, uh, Rebecca. Um, so I have two things I wanted to say. Yeah. So while 
while Rabbi Shapiro was reading these these lines, I was trying to think quickly. What 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 what's here? What what can he highlight that has to do with mental health <laughs> and all that? And so, and I landed on something completely different. So I just yeah. wanted to mention that. Yeah. And, and my I thought you were going towards a trust thing, where mm. clearly the Orev is left sort of he's going back and forth and back and forth, and it seems like Noah just forgot about him and said. Mm. Is more preferred um, bird out mm. and let the bird come back and rest. And but he didn't trust the Oreb's um, ability to get him the correct, uh, I guess, situation. Interesting. So that was where I landed with that. Yeah. Um, with regard to what Rabbi Shapira did bring up, um, to me, it just resonated with what we're going through, which is. We go, we get the vaccines, we try to go out, we think everything's okay, and then we get hit again with those numbers. And so we come back home and we get another shot and then we wait. And it's mm-hmm. sort of, um, it's almost not about, I mean, I think hope is sort of a, a glorified sort of description of just surviving a period where we just don't have any choice. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously with Noah, we had even less choice. We could, we can go out and do whatever we want and take the risk. But um, it just, it, that just um, sort of resonated with where we're at. Yeah, yeah. With the pandemic and just it's never ending and going back and forth. Great, great. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, it's interesting that you say that, about trust with the raven. I had a very different take on, on the raven being sent out versus the dove. And so mine, mine was much more actually about hesitation than it was about trust, just in terms of like Noah's, um, interest or maybe capability of being ready for something like taking baby steps as opposed to big steps with, which obviously I knew Rabbi Shapiro's, um, uh, kind of framing for all of this. So, so that, that leads a little bit more into the, into the hope piece, but, but the, but I, I love your, uh, your, um, retelling of the idea of maybe Noah even having more of a relationship with these animals than we know about, um, and, and feeling connected to one over the other and how they were utilized. So thank you for, uh, for sharing that also. Marlies. Oh. Sorry, Rabbi Shapiro. Yo, I just wanted to to toss in there as well. I noticed, I think, adjacent to all this, where did the raven go, right? Like, we we don't even necessarily know, right? He went back and forth. Uh, All right, like, did he wind up back at the, uh, like, what happens to the raven? We actually don't hear conclusive. I, I mean, I think it's sort of implied, like, yeah, he probably went back. We just hear so clearly, like, the dove couldn't find a resting place. So he returned to the ark, and he took his hand, and he put out his hand, and he took it back in the ark. So sort of adjacent to Rebecca's point, I think, about whether it's about trust or relationship or whatever it is, I just think it's, um, and then relating it to hope as well. Like, there, there are different ways, and you might you might try something that you think will work or help you and it, and it doesn't, mm-hmm. and it actually doesn't help. Mm-hmm. And so that can also, I mean, I've been in that, but it's like, if I'm feeling really stuck on something and I try something and it doesn't work, that actually makes it harder to try something new because I tried something and it didn't work. So what, how am I going to keep going with this? So, so I, I noticed that sort of um, that, that gap. Mm. Sim- similarly, differently, I don't know, ad- adjacent to all of that. All right, Marlise and then Renee. Um, well, I guess m- my question was kind of more about the birds. Um, and I, I think it's I, that Rebecca's point is just really brilliant, tying that into what we're experiencing now and then and for Rabbi Curtis to, to stop at this point r- rather than going on to the next part of the story. Um, but I guess I just... I'm wondering if you have any comments about the use of these particular birds the the rabbis do. I mean, I, I just know the Raven from Edgar Allan Poe or yeah. that type of, um, and the dove is a sort of a symbol of peace, I think from the story. Right. So it just, 
Yeah. Are there any other reasons or aspects to that imagery? Um, I can't speak for Rabbi Shapiro, but I did not find or at least focused on focus on so many commentaries on the specific birds being used. One of the things that I did notice, though, was that some of the commentators spoke about how many of each bird that that potentially was actually like a flock of them that went out, not just one. Um, and I thought that was kind of interesting. I don't know, Rabbi Shapiro, if you saw that, but um, the doves or the ravens. I believe it was, I can go back and see. I think that it was the, the doves, but I mean the ravens, sorry, but I can go back and look. Um, uh, but I don't, I don't know, you know, whether I, I also don't know, you know, this is where like translation comes into play. Who knows if Orev, the thing that actually flew out of the ark was actually a raven or if we've now kind of ascribed that to be what we call a raven. Um, so I, I don't know if they're trying to create two different birds here and just that there are two different. No, I'm not saying it's not translated that way. I'm just saying I don't know if the translation. No, no, no. Was, I'm just, I, sometimes, sometimes you will see different oh, other places it's, or bits and bobs in terms of like he sometimes raven sometimes yeah 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 yeah. yeah. um but i don't i don't know i don't know why it wasn't an eagle and a turkey you know i don't i have no uh-huh. idea yeah, yeah. fine turkey the, the turkey would drown so yeah. that's probably why it wasn't a turkey <laughs> although the drowning turkeys of course would be a great name for yes. very good very good okay renee and then title oh rebecca did you want to comment on this specifically yeah, I just wanted to say that with regard to the dove, which is also a pigeon, there's the whole idea of homing pigeons, where they have this whole... Right, 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 yeah. You know, this actual capability of returning. Right, right. Yeah, that's a really good point, that maybe that's specifically why that bird was used. <laughs> Great. Okay, Renee. So I'm wondering if he saw, and you may have already asked this because my head's not in its place, um, that the, that the, uh, the raven or whatever that bird was, was considered more of like a wild, like a Vildachaya kind of animal and that mm. was his favorite because maybe he saw it as a, as the purest neshama of all the Yeah, I don't, I, th- there's definitely, I just found it because I was trying to look for the, um, for the flock piece that I found before. Um, Chizkuni talks about how a raven is actually not a kosher bird um, and how the um, the idea of a raven being sent out was potentially because no one knew that the raven, the raven's job would be to go out and scour for food, um, which I don't know if that's really what ravens do, but that's what Chizkuni thought they did. Um, and so the idea would be that they would, if they were looking for food, that then we would know that there was dry land. Um, so that was kind of their purpose. So it seems as though maybe the birds were chosen based on purpose, um, like the, their actual um, job, <laughs> like their their role. That's the word I was looking for. Their role in in the world, as opposed to necessarily their connection to Noah. Um, but I, yeah, it could be more metaphorical or is a dove kosher. Um, I... No one eats dove. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I'll look it up. I think I'm not so. sure. The reason I ask because if if the issue of is the raven's not kosher, I don't. Right, I don't, right, right. I don't think the dove is kosher, so that doesn't hold as a as a good explanation. But yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we can take it up with Chizkuni. Um But uh, that's a really good point. Yeah, I can I can look that up. Uh, okay, Tybal. Pigeons and doves are known to be kosher based on their permissible status as sacrificial offerings. Oh, so maybe they're... What a quick Rabbi Google consultation says. Interesting. Okay, great. So they are kosher. Go and eat a pigeon, I guess. Uh, okay, Tyler. Mm. Um, I have, and I, I put an appropriate virtual background up, a drawing my child made in honor of my name. For those who don't know, uh, the, the name, which is my religious name, Tybal, means dove in Yiddish which then mm-hmm. the feminine is Yonina in Hebrew, etc. So I have this proprietary interest. And in what I would like to say is that, um, and Judy Klitzner, though I'm blocking on the name of the book, something like transgressive sequels or something has an amazing chapter on how the book of Jonah is a completion of the book of Noah. I mean, I'm not the book, the 
Megillah. story of Noah is completed by the book of Jonah. So many correspondences, but in that case, that would be why it needed to be a dove, because mm. that's the etymological important linked connection. Mm. It's, it has to do with water. It has yeah, to water do with the names. Um, I'll try to get, if anyone's interested, I'll try to remember or get through Google the actual name yeah. of the title of the book and put it in. It's just really an amazing book, and the Jonah chapter is wonderful. That sounds really interesting. Well, especially when you think about Noah being on the water and Jonah being yeah, under yeah. in the water. Yeah. Um, yeah. It also makes me feel so much better that as a kid, I can never keep Jonah and Noah. I knew the stories, but I would always flip the character names because they're just so close. Um, so it makes me feel better as a as a child learner. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's that's fascinating. Noah. What? Noah. You're saying the names are so close to each other. There's no J. Noah. Noah. Jonah. Okay. Anyway, I don't know what you're saying. Um. Any other, any other Kushio, by the way, I put the, I found the um, commentary. It was the Tur Ruch said uh, that it was the doves that went out in a flock. Uh, but, um, but that the ravens, there was only one pair in the ark. Interesting. Uh, any other, I don't see any other Kushio, Rabbi Shapiro. So if you would like to. Uh... Well, why don't, why don't you, I, I launched into a whole oh, okay. series of whatever last week so why don't why don't you kick things off with a couple of pieces you found and then maybe i'll see if that lines up with other i mean i think i think there was some really interesting kushif that folks shared i'd be curious like if you have like more rabbinic conventional rabbinic responses to them i mean i'm definitely thinking about some of the comments comments folk made but why don't we why don't we lead with whatever you might have on some of that stuff okay sure um uh, okay, I can start with this one. It, this is not a, it's not a direct connection to a kushia that someone shared. However, um, boy, I'm trying to move you all so I can see this at the same time. Give me one second. Okay. So this is the Aura Chaim. Um, and this, this was actually the first commentary that really made me think about, uh, knowing that Rabbi Shapiro was going to talk about hope. I took kind of one step backwards and thought about how how does Noah even prepare for this moment of feeling like he can send some something out, um, right? How does he even know to have hope before the sending out of the of the bird? In this case, the raven goes first, right? How how does he even know how to prepare himself um, or potentially put away the anxiety or the fear or uh, just the nerves of what might ensue if a bird does come back? And now what? Now what happens? All Noah knows is to build this ark, but he doesn't necessarily know what comes next. And as we know, in the next part of the story, he also doesn't necessarily behave, you know, in a, in a way that we would we would expect someone to behave um righteously after coming out of out of the ark maybe humanly but but potentially not righteously um so the orachim here on the vahimi kits arbaimiyom so at the end of the period of 40 days it, he then goes on to comment how does noah know when the time had come to safely open the window right like at what point does noah actually recognize oh it's time right if the birds are going out to find dry land at what point does noah know we assume intuitively that that this is when it's okay to kind of start venturing out. Was he not scared the surrounding waters would flood the ark, right? By opening the door, are you not afraid that the waters are going to actually come in? So at what point do you have to have confidence, hope, whatever those those feelings are to actually open up that window to be able to go out. The Orachaim wants to put in here that maybe God told him when, but I, I just wanted to stop actually before that piece and just kind of live in this moment of even before the birds go out, Noah has to approach this moment of how do I... How do I open that window? How do I approach the um, the moment of of exploration of whatever comes next? So that that kind of sent me on a rant of other things to find commentary wise. So I can pass it back over to you, Rabbi Shapiro, and then I'm, I'm happy to like sprinkle some of those things in later. But that that um, that's the beginning of my research. <laughs> you have your doctorate research into these passages. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what what it picks up. 
um, on something that that pinged for me as folks were asking questions because somebody mentioned how, um, you know, God God had a covenant with Noah, and even even though we think about that covenant being established at the right, the rainbow at the end, right, picturesque sort of moment, God says at the very beginning of the story that God's going to establish a covenant with Noah, right? You will do this, and I will. Um, I will protect you. So rather shots tying with, tying in with your point that like midrashically reading in that God sort of said, Hey, no, like your, you know, your, your stopwatch is going to go off in 12 months. And that's when you, know, you, you pop the window open. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but I think for, for me, at least so much of this idea or this challenge, right. Of, um, of sustaining hope when it feels really difficult. So much of that is about relationship. Yeah. You know, and, and how difficult, that can be when it feels, you know, like, like you're, you know, when you don't have, I mean, this sort of ties back in with a little bit of what we were talking about last week, right? That it's not good for a person to be alone. And I think sort of inversely, when, if, if Noah didn't have that, right, if he didn't go into the ark, knowing that that covenant had been promised, I think it would have been a lot tougher. You know, I think I think that would have made it a lot more difficult. Um, and when I think about um, and, and folks were noticing, you know, I think, Rebecca, you were saying this idea of like pandemic in, out, backwards, forwards, this whole idea. Um, it's really, really difficult. What makes it navigable for me is is the relationships that I have with other people and knowing that I'm not doing this alone. Right. That w- that we are collectively going going through this. And I think one of the things for me is to sort of. A uh, bit, bit of a digression that I'll quickly pull back from. One of the things I find most frustrating in interacting with other humans at this point in time is the continued insistence and sort of this illusory individualism that it's just about my personal choices instead of recognizing that all of our choices impact everyone else, right? My kids are now back playing soccer, which is, which is great. The older two boys are playing soccer. And Sarah texted me yesterday when she was at Jonah's practice, one of the kids on Jonah's team has tested positive for COVID. Fortunately, he wasn't at the game on Sunday, so but it just sort of crystallized, right? Like by signing our kids up for soccer, my kids week or two at school is always only as secure as the least careful parent of any of the kids on their team. It's not just about if they feel like doing something for them. It's actually about all of us. Now, that's always been true. That's always been true. We're just feeling it more acutely right now in a different kind of way. Um, so that, that's, I guess, sort of the dark, the dark side of it, right? The dark side is we're not alone, but also that there is, there is, there is light in the fact that, hey, we're not alone and we're going through this together. Um, and when I'm having a tough time, when, when I was sick in July, I spent a lot of time on FaceTime, right? Because it was helpful to know that I wasn't just navigating what I was navigating uh alone that i that, that i had other people support me and that, that was that was critical for me um i'm gonna throw on a, can i throw on a rainbow tangent real quick rabbi shots um you, you can respond to it i have a, no, I have no, a no, fun rainbow can... tangent sure i have a fun rainbow tangent okay you ready yes you're not ready but i'm ready um so i was thinking about so i just read um have folks folks seen this book, Project Hail Mary? Have folks seen this book by Andy Weir, the guy who wrote The Martian? I burned through it. It was great. It's kind of hard sci-fi. It's really good. Recommend it. I don't have a Torah connection to it, but it was good. <laughs> and one of the one of the science concepts that that gets a lot of exercise in there is the concept of the visible spectrum of light, right? Even though we think we see all light, we actually don't see most wavelengths of light. We think we do because it's all the light we've ever seen, but there's actually a lot of other spectrums of light that are invisible to us, right? And so I was thinking about the rainbow and I was thinking about the spherot because, hi, um, and I was thinking about, right, sort of what that says about what's revealed and concealed in relationship. And so I was thinking about how, like, when, so there's this idea of references in this class before that there are the, the 10 spherot, right, sort of 10 different aspects of God and one, uh, according to the sort of Kabbalistic system, and one of the ways that we can think about that is it's not that there are 10 gods, it's that there's 10 different dimensions, aspects of God. And one of the, one of the images that are sometimes offered up is that it's different glasses with the same water, but there's like different food coloring, basically, 
right? So it'll look red or it'll look green, or but it's actually the same water. It's one way of like wrapping your head around that. And so that made me think about the rainbow and how in a relationship, right? So at the end of the arc, the rainbow is revealed. So it's like there's sort of these different aspects of God that are revealed at the very end. But implicit in that, because not all light is visible, is that there's also something that is always kind of concealed um, that we actually can't see. And, and so that is creating the le- the rainbow. Or that's a part, but so yes, in terms of the light, you can't see the light because it's refracted through, but even that there are spectrums of light that we can't visibly right, right. take in, right? There are other colors of light out there, right? There are animals on earth that are bugs on earth that can perceive like ultraviolet light that we just, that we can't, you know? For my, for my rabbinical school essay where I had to talk about God and my connection to God, I used a rainbow for the exact reason that you just described. You are so mystical, Rabbi Schatz. I yeah, I didn't talk about mysticism at all. I didn't you. talk about light and Did refracting you light. you wrote in your rabbinical school acceptance essay? No. All right. Um, okay, what I was going to point out, but I'm just glad that you and I are on the same page. I think that's very sweet. Um, or at least me many years ago. Um Almost 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Uh, so the two, the two words that come up most often in this are Vayetze and Vayishlach. And I think it's really interesting to think that both of those words are ascending out and to go back to what you were, what you were referring to before Rabbi Shapiro, this idea of, um, you know, having, knowing that there, that there are risks that are going to have to, be taken, but that also it's that kind of step forward that, that it helps us in a pandemic to know that there are certain areas in which we, we can, we can know how to either keep ourselves safer or make sure that we are, um, what's happening at your window? A, a certain senior rabbi knocked and then noticed I was busy and then started dancing and I will not reveal who that person was. Got it. One of the things that is a wavelength of light that we cannot perceive. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. It used to happen to me all the time during services in the pandemic. Um, so I, I think that it's interesting. Those two words are what are then used for the way in which the, and the dove and raven go out, right? That they are actually sent out and that they, they go out because Noah isn't the one doing that. He's doing the action. He's the one sending them, but he's not the one going out, right? He's not, he's not venturing out to sea. And so we always have these, these elements of like, whether it's a boundary or a safety blanket or whatever it is, we have, we have ways of kind of dipping our toe in the water without needing to jump all in. And maybe that's an element of the hope, right? We don't have to feel like, Everything is going to be amazing. But if we have a, that glimmer of hope, it helps us get to the parts that are that are going to be either successful or just make us feel good or whatever it is by taking those little steps forward. Um, and I thought those two words were particularly interesting to use um, to get us to get us there. Um, OK, he has nothing to say on that. Anybody have any thoughts? Yeah, Rebecca. Um, just quickly with regard to the rainbow, I think I always thought of, of the rainbow is supposed to be like a sign that God will never yeah. erase, you know, us off the, 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 the uh, face of the earth. And, and uh, to get the rainbow, you need the rain and the yeah. sun, right? You need the light going through the rain. And, and I think that's sort of part of the hope that, it's not about the rain ending, but more about the sun being there as well. Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, Denise. So I was just thinking about it, um, I guess, because of our theme of mental and spiritual health. So that question about how did he know when it's time to get off and when it's safe and all the fears he would have and all that. And I, and I mean, I guess we all resonate to that, but it made me think of something my therapist asked me once. I don't even remember what I was freaking out about. It could be anything. Um, but she said, she just, like, she listened to my whole thing for, like, 20 minutes or whatever. And then she just said, but Denise, how does that connect to reality now? <laughs> and it was like, it didn't, you know. 
and um, bringing that to Noah too. Like he would have to look around and notice that it, as scary as that was, it hasn't rained for a while and the water had to be receding and objectively reality now was getting better. And so like it kind of forced him to be in that reality now and not stay in his head. I love that. But I I love the the idea of it's not raining now, right? Knowing that you can stay in that dreary space if you want to, but if you look outside, it's not raining right now. So take that next step. I think that's such a powerful, powerful concept. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Mike, did you put your hand down because you were going to say something similar? Or? Well, something similar to what Denise said, uh, actually, because it's sort of like with this pan- uh, and to put it back onto the pandemic. Uh, I think what the pandemic has forced all of us to do is, uh, you know, to think more about hope and also to sort of think about the way the world works and, and God and a little bit of awe and humility, because we think we control everything. Uh, and, and the pandemic has shown us that we can't always, uh, we're not always going to be in control. Even uh, with uh, with these different waves of the Delta, I mean, you know, uh, two months ago, everybody was predicting that we would all be shut down and 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 look what happened. I mean, the cases are now going down and uh, we might even be able to think about uh, putting that first step out again, like right. you know, putting putting the feelers out. Uh, bringing up the, you know, having the hope uh, to to go forward, uh, and uh, and and you know having the the having the ability to go ahead and let your kids play soccer, uh, and and you can hope uh, you can be a little bit more hopeful that uh, uh, things will be okay, or 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 maybe like I- the Bible said, it'd be a, you have good luck. And the, the odds are better, you know, uh, but but still, I mean, the whole thing uh, is uh, is having humility and, and also having uh, the ability to uh, look forward to something, I think. Well, and I think you're bringing up an interesting concept of also creating some of that hope, right? Like part of part of our job and part of what Noah does in sending out these birds is also taking a step to to acknowledge or create some of that hope to be able to move forward. And so it's not just that you can be hopeful and imagine that the things around you are going to impact that, but also creating ways in which we can provide hope both to ourselves and to, and also to others creating could be a vaccine and creating could also be deciding as a family that you're going to send your kids to soccer, right? That That is also creating hope in a certain way. Um, Bonnie, and then I'll let Rabbi Shapiro finish us out. So hope has to also be tempered by not thinking that, yes, we have hope, but life might not be exactly what we envisioned it being before. Yes. So that through all these 18 months of the pandemic, coming back out is going to look very different. Mm-hmm. And in my case, my life is very different without my husband. Right. And, but you sort of have to, like the birds, you have to just, you know, flap your wings a little to the mm-hmm. next twig and, um, and move forward, but not expecting life to be as it was. For sure. And also finding that Noah figure that can help push you out of the ark and help you flap those wings, right? That it's not, the birds didn't choose to leave themselves. They needed Noah to help them find that. And, and, and in turn, they helped him find something. So, all right, Rabbi Shapiro. I keep saying to Rabbi Shatz, you know, because we're framing this class a little differently, I think we can make it like a shorter session, but then we keep finding lots of stuff to talk, which I know if you've seen me and Rabbi Shatz interacting at all, I know it's shocking that we keep finding lots of things to riff off of and explore. Uh, but it's just funny because off of the past few comments, I have like four more things to say. Uh, so we'll, one of these weeks will, will, I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. Um, 
Didn't he? <laughs> I know. I don't know what's going to happen for Michael's comment. Well, I mean, that, that was one of the things I was going to say. Exactly. Exactly. I thought it was, oh, just, man. I, nothing. Um, yeah, Elon's comment, shorter one, the light text are fine. Um, may they be playing next week, Elon. May they be playing next week. Um, Michael, you were talking about the, sort of the challenge of, of seeing what we are and aren't in control. We're actually in control of very little <laughs> in this world. We are not in control of 99.9999999. We are really only in control of how we respond to what's happening around us. That's about it, right? I mean, serenity prayer, right? God, God grant me serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, the wisdom to know the difference, right? There is very little I'm actually in charge of, I'm actually in control of. How am I going to respond to what's happening around me? And I think, I think, Denise, that goes back to to the point you were making, which along with Rabbi Schatz, I also resonate with, uh, in addition to uh, loving to be a fly on the wall when your therapist reflected that to you. Denise, how does that actually reflect what's happening in reality right now? Um, because yeah, we do tell ourselves stories, right? We tell ourselves it's, it's part of how we function as people is we do tell ourselves narratives about how the world is functioning around us. And we have to learn. We have to learn from from patterns and from what has happened before. I have to learn about how I've how I've reacted to something in the past and how I can respond to that differently in the future. Otherwise I'm just like, you know, wandering around like a lemming, sort of like, oh, well, what do I do now? Right. I have to learn. And that also has to be balanced with sort of the challenge of being present in each moment and saying, okay, great. What am I going to do now? Right. What what's actually this this current moment um, calling for, which can be tough, particularly if there's been an ongoing situation that has that has felt particularly um, challenging. Um, I think, Rebecca, you made you made the I wrote it down because I thought it was such an interesting framework. You said hope is a glorified description of survival. Um, I don't know how I feel about that. I'm like very ambivalent. Like on the one hand, like, yeah, I guess that's true. And on the other hand, I feel like there's, there's a difference between like just getting by and actually trying to really thrive and be present, right? Like you, yeah, I get, I think you could probably like sustain yourself at a bare bones level if you don't have hope, but I think it would get pretty tough pretty quickly. You know, I think it would get really, really challenging, um, to be able to sustain that. And that also connects to something that, um, as, uh, as we're continuing to riff on this idea of a rainbow, the, the thought that popped in my head is that a rainbow is like a unique alignment of two essential elements, right? We need water and we need light in order to live, right? I mean, I guess you could live in darkness. Go with me on this, right? Like you need, right? Like, even if even if you're blind, you can still right. People who are blind have talked about how they can still sense like differences um, in 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 light um, when they're walking around. Is my understanding? Um, I could be wrong, um, but that there are these two sort of core elements of how we perceive and experience the world that align in, in sort of a unique way um, in order to reflect that covenant. The one other the one other thing I wanted to say, maybe Rabbi Schatz can close us out since I'm I'm throwing out a lot of different random pieces you're doing great i'm doing great i'm doing great ah long last um so there, there was a comment made earlier rebecca might have been i'm just going to keep picking on rebecca um rebecca you made the comment about how like you know how noah must be this amazing kind of guy right to to you you're like to have the strength to be able to respond no you're making a face at me i'm putting words in your mouth i would never Rabbi Schatz, I would never put words in anyone's mouth. Rabbi Schatz knows this about me. I would never, right? Sure. Yeah. Um, you made some kind of comment about how, that, like, the strength that no one needed to have. No? Maybe? Something. Someone did. Anyway, continue. Someone did. Someone who may or may not be named Rebecca. Um, and folks might know this, that there's this, sort of machlok at this ongoing argument in the rabbinic sources when it says Noah ish tzadik tamim hayab adorotav, that Noah, Noah was a tzadik in his generation. And there's two different ways of understanding that. One is that Noah was a tzadik. He was a, he was a great guy. Noah, Noah was a rocking dude, as the rabbis say. He was awesome, regardless of whatever generation he was in. That's one understanding. Or, ish tzadik tamim hayab bedorotav. He was a good guy, 
in the context of a generation that was so bad they were wiped off the face of the earth. So everyone else was a was a point one. Noah was a point two, which is what merited him him being saved, right? And there's there's you know arguments to be made either way. I don't know which one of those I, I generally fall on. I think I think it can be understood sort of equally well. But I do think when it comes to this idea of hope, it's interesting to think about Noah as Davka, like not a particularly righteous dude objectively. That he was the one who was like the best of the lot and he was really just kind of an average guy. And yet he found a way to keep sending out those birds and to sustain that hope and to hold on to that covenant, I actually think in like the context of this specific reading of this story, um, from my perspective, that's, that's a powerful way of thinking about it, right? That you don't have to be objectively a tzaddik in order to sustain hope in a really challenging and difficult time. Um, and with all of the, the rightfully, um, you know, uh, current reflections on, on what this is, on, on how this topic um, applies. Um, hopefully there's there's something in there for all of us that whoever you are, um, if you're really righteous, like Rabbi Schatz, or you're just an average person like me, um, that, you know, th- that hope is possible for all of us. And I think that there's something really powerful and uh, important in that. So That's a really beautiful way to end that. Oh, thanks, Rabbi Schatz. Yeah, no problem. Um, Shabbat Shalom, everyone. Shabbat from Brooklyn. Enjoy. Um, and uh, we will see you. So- Elon, did you want to say something? You unmuted. Okay. Um, no, I, I, I really like the new formats. It, it, it's, uh, it's very good. Thanks, Elon. It came. It came mostly from an idea you had. So thank you for thank you for bringing it to our uh, our minds. Um, we will see you on Shabbat. There's a Bob Mitzvah tomorrow morning. There's Shul tonight. There's Shul tomorrow afternoon. Um, the White Sox are playing. I don't know if anybody's heard. Uh, and uh, we hope to see you next week. Shabbat Shalom. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.